In the beginning, we were created and designed to live and walk with God. But humanity traded the truth for a lie. We traded the glory and goodness of God for the world and our own ways. Separated from God, we were stuck in a pit of our own making. But Jesus broke through. Through his death on the cross and his resurrection, he rescued us from our sin, shame, and pain. Jesus shows us and teaches us how to live a new life, full life, a life that is upside down compared to what we are used to. His upside down, or rather, right side up ways are beautiful and perfect. He empowers us to live his mission, turning this upside down world right side up for his kingdom, his power, and his glory. Well, good morning. I want to say welcome to those of you who are in the West Auditorium here, those of, you to, those of you who are in the East Auditorium, and also to those of you who are worshiping with us online. <clears throat> I'm so glad that we're able to look at God's Word together today. My name is Heather Vans, and I serve here as the Family Ministries Pastor. We continue today with the best sermon ever. It's a sermon that Jesus gave, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out what it looks like for us to be a follower of his. He shows how the way of the world and the way of Jesus are often different. In essence, the way of Jesus feels upside down from what we are used to. The Sermon on the Mount isn't a bunch of topics smashed, random topics smashed together, but it all builds on one another. It is one intentionally crafted instruction for the way of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> the bottom line is that the best sermon ever isn't about how great or good that we need to be. Rather, it's about surrendering to Jesus, waving our white flag, and faithfully following his way. We have looked at a number of topics in the Sermon on the Mount and have seen what Jesus has to say about them. And so today we're gonna to look at the topic of anxiety. When Pastor Brian sent out the schedule to all of us and what our topics would be, I noticed that mine was anxiety. And I thought, how fitting. Give it to the one of us who actually struggles with anxiety. So thank you, Brian, for that, I appreciate that. And uh, my son Carter asked how I felt about preaching on anxiety, and of course I told him that I felt anxious. And so I'm anxious any time that I'm up here, so let's just talk about it this morning. And I'll tell more of my story of anxiety in, in a few minutes, but um, I am wearing this sweatshirt today that says, it's fine, I'm fine, everything is fine. And I also have the t-shirt and the mug as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even kidding. So. As funny as that might be, and as many jokes that can come with the topic of anxiety, I recognize that it's something that many of us do struggle with, and it affects people in many different ways. You see, anxiety can be physiological, it can be emotional, it can be situational, but it's always spiritual. Anxiety is very complicated, and so we're gonna take a holistic approach to anxiety today. So no matter what our anxiety looks like, we of course, first of all, need to pray give it to Jesus and ask him to help us with it. But for some people, it may require a change of diet, 
And so they figure out maybe supplements or how they can make their diet look different to help their anxiety. For some, it's a chemical imbalance. And so we need help from doctors to manage our anxiety. For some of us, under professional care, we take certain medication. And for some of us, we might need to process some things so we get help from a counselor. We recently talked about mental health um, with our students in student life, and anxiety was a part of this conversation. We talked about how it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way, and there are many different ways that we can use to manage our anxiety. You see, anxiety is not always bad for us. It's actually sometimes good for us because it comes from the same part, fear part of our brain that actually puts us on high alert when there's danger coming our way, like if we're about to get hit by a bus or fall off a cliff. So it actually is important that we have that part of our brains. And anxiety is the signal, it's the alert, it's the indicator that something is not right. So some anxiety can be good, but we also recognize the struggle of anxiety in some of our lives. And so as we do with everything here at First Christian Church, we're going to look to God's word this morning and see what God has to say to us about anxiety. And so I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 34. But before we get there, I want to look at actually verse 25, where Jesus says to us, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Great. Jesus tells us not to worry. Simple, right? Jesus said it. We should do it. Sermon over. Let's go home. But it's not quite that easy or quite that simple when it comes to anxiety. And so I want to go back to the first part of the passage of Scripture before we can figure out how we are not supposed to worry. And so starting in verse 19, we see that Jesus tells us, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus starts out this portion of scripture with telling us not to store up treasures here on earth, which is an interesting idea when we live in the materialistic culture that we do, where the goal is to get the biggest house, to drive the best car, to own the most stuff, and to make it to the top position in your company. Treasure here can mean wealth, material possessions. It's our dreams, our reputation, or our career. It could be our retirement savings, our stocks, or our business investments. Maybe it's our power, position, or its significance. Maybe it's the spot on the team, or in the play, or the best GPA. It could also be our experiences, relationships, or even our family. Jesus clears up what a treasure is to us when he says in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know where your treasure is, look at what makes you tick. What is your passion? What is your driving force? What is the dream that motivates you and keeps you going? What do you hope to accomplish? When you find out what drives you to make you pursue the life that you do, then you will be able to identify your treasure. Now there's a phrase in verse 19 that I think it's important for us to catch, and that phrase is for yourselves. This means for personal advantage or for selfish ends, it's a focus on us and what we want. It's a building up of our kingdom and not the kingdom of God. And so maybe we focus on these treasures because of insecurities in our lives or we do it to find happiness or wholeness in them. Many times these treasures become idols 
to us as they are the things that we focus on and pursue rather than our relationship with God or the things of him or his kingdom. And oftentimes, this can lead us to experience anxiety because of the pressure to keep up, to perform, or to make it. And yet Jesus tells us to not store up treasures on earth. He tells us to stop letting this to be, be our focus and to not let it control our lives. And why can we follow what he says? Simply, Jesus tells us that life is more than stuff. Now, God doesn't want us to get rid of our stuff. He just wants us to pursue it properly. And so it's important to understand here that Jesus is not condemning wealth. Money and having a lot of it is not the issue here. It's the love of money and the consuming desire for it, which is what the world tells us to focus on. And the thing is, the stuff doesn't matter as it doesn't last. Jesus tells us that we should not store up treasures on earth because moths will eat them, rust will destroy them, or thieves might break in and steal them. Earthly treasures will disappoint. They won't last, and we don't get to take them with us when we leave this world. Jesus tells us to store up treasures in heaven that can't be destroyed by moss or rust or stolen by thieves. And the verb store up here is in the present continuous tense. It refers to what is to be the constant pattern or purpose of our lives. So how do we store up treasures in heaven? We keep a light grip when it comes to the material things of life because our, only, our hope is truly anchored in eternity. We learn contentment no matter the circumstance. We measure life and make choices based on things that are eternal. We're good stewards of what God has given us. We live like Jesus in everything, including giving, our, including giving and service. How do we store up treasures in heaven? It's a total commitment to Jesus, a heart given to him. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now Jesus gives us some illustrations to go along with this. We see in verses 22 that he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. So Jesus talks about a good eye and a bad eye. And this might seem a little confusing and maybe a little bit out of left field. What do our eyes have to do with our treasures? But when Jesus is talking about a good eye and a bad eye, he's talking about the source and type of understanding and wisdom that a person has. One leads to destruction and the other gives life to your body. Our eye is either set on good or bad, resulting in light or darkness. Your treasures, your dreams, and your purpose in life will give your body light or darkness, and Jesus is telling us to be careful what we set our eyes on. The good eye will desire the spiritual. The bad eye will desire the riches of this world. The following verse follows the same train of thought, but Jesus is more direct about it, and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is talking about two masters that have different, two different demands. If someone tried to serve two masters, they might be able to do it for some time, but when there's a conflict between them, they're gonna choose the master on whom they rely the most. And the master that they choose has been the real master all along. So who is your master? Who is my master? Because we're all mastered by something or someone. Who, who or what has our heart, our devotion, or our commitment? It should be God and not the things of this world. 
that will not last. Jesus is telling us that we can't serve two masters at once, with the masters being God and money. We know that materialism will impact our relationship with God. Jesus tells us all of this, and then we come back to the very first verse that I read, where it says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. We need to pause here, though, and look at the word therefore. Whenever we see this word, it points us back to what has just been said. It's a reaction or a response to what has just happened in the past. And so what has just happened, or what has just been said? Well, Jesus wants his disciples to serve God, not money or the things of this world. He wants his disciples to have eyes full of light and not darkness. He wants his disciples to treasure spiritual and eternal things, not worldly things. Therefore, for that reason, in light of what you just heard, what does Jesus tell us to do? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Jesus commands us to not worry. What does worry even mean? It means to give way to anxiety or unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulties or troubles. In the original Greek, the word for anxious means to be troubled with cares. In its root idea, anxious means to be drawn in two different directions, to be distracted or divided. When we are worried and troubled about things in this life, we can become distracted and divided from our devotion to God and from what should be our primary focus and pursuit. And yet the modern Western world is built on anxiety. You see it in the faces of people hurrying to work, trying to make it to the next level. Maybe you don't have a job right now, or the job that you do have, you're struggling in it. Maybe it's a car that doesn't work for you, or it might be a health issue. Maybe it's your future. It might be aging parents. It could be a tough financial season that you are in. Parents or grandparents, maybe it's those kids or grandkids that you're worried about. Students, you might be anxious about fitting in at school or the pressures that go along with that. We are anxious, we are worried, we are agitated, we are distressed, we are tense, we are irritable, and we are uneasy. Yet Jesus tells us not to worry. Why can we be obedient to Jesus and not worry? Well, let's take a look at some birds and flowers to help us with this, answer this question. We see in verse 26 that Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So why can we be obedient to Jesus? and not worry, Jesus tells us that God will provide. Jesus is outside teaching, and he says to the people there, look at the birds. And I wonder if the people sitting there were asking the question, why do we need to look at the birds? How does that help us to not worry? And yet in this, Jesus is giving us a lesson of God's care for his creation. When God created things, he assumed responsibility for them. God does not abandon his creation. He takes care of them. Now, we can't misunderstand the work of the birds. 
The birds are always working to find food, but God provides that food for them. If God does this for even the birds, how much more will he do it for us? Aren't we much more valuable than the birds? We are created in God's image, and the birds are not. We are his sons and his daughters. We are the reason that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And then Jesus asked, why do we worry about clothes? And he points us to the flowers of the field. And we see how beautiful they are, and yet we know that they grow and don't have to work to produce their clothing. And yet they are more beautiful than Solomon in all his glory. The flowers of the field are here today and gone tomorrow. And if God cares so tenderly for short-lived wildflowers, how much more we care for us who are of great value to him. Not only does Jesus encourage us to trust in our Heavenly Father, but he also affirms our great worth and value in his eyes. Now Jesus uses food and clothing as general examples to signify our basic needs. We might just as easily insert the rent, the power bill, the grocery budget, the test, or any number of everyday concerns that are a source of anxiety for us. Jesus then goes on and says, and what good does it do for us to even worry or be anxious about it? Worry does not benefit us in any way. You see, anxiety can't add a single minute to your life. It can't add a single dollar bill to your bank account. It can't add a single point to your GPA. Anxiety can't impress your boss. In fact, our worry can't change our reality. And the irony in all of this is that anxiety can actually take it all away. We know that anxiety does affect our health and can actually take time off of our lives. It can affect that bank account or that GPA, and we know that anxiety can affect our relationships. Anxiety and worry can hurt us. Now, Scripture tells us that we are to pray for our daily needs, that we are to work for what we need, and we are to plan for our future. The problem becomes when we are so anxious and preoccupied with the things of this world that it takes our focus off of God. God is our Heavenly Father who will provide for us, not just in the basic necessities of life, but in every area of our lives. And so why do we worry? Why are we anxious? Well, Jesus answers it for us in this phrase, you of little faith. He gets to the heart of the issue. You see, the problem with our anxieties is not in the things that we are anxious about. It's not really about birds and flowers. It's about us sometimes not having sufficient faith and trust that God's gonna take care of us. We have little faith in who he is and how he will provide for us. We wanna be independent, we wanna handle life on our own and to find happiness by our own doing. There are some things that worry or anxiety can reveal to us. It can minimize or forget the care of God for his people. Anxiety can distract us from the, from the pursuit of heavenly treasures. It can deny the wisdom of God, the love of God, and the power of God, because it says that he isn't able to take care of whatever is causing me anxiety. We worry, yet we know that our heavenly Father will take care of us. My husband Jack and I have been married almost 25 years, and uh, we were married young, and so we were young and in love, but that's about all that we had. And uh, so we were able to pay our bills every month, but there wasn't much left in our account. And so we had a bill come in one month and uh, extra that we weren't sure how we were gonna uh, pay for it because there wasn't money there. 
And yet we had a change cup. I don't know if anybody has a change cup, but especially in those days, we didn't pay with card. We paid more with cash or checks. And so we would put our change in this cup in our kitchen. And so we went to our change cup. And I remember taking that change, and we poured it out on our living room floor. And we counted that change. And the amount of that change added up to, take care, to enough to take care of that bill with just a dollar or two left over. God knew what we needed in that moment. And he provided for us. God took care of us. You see, when we look at our anxiety, we need to look at it in light of our faith and the truths that we know about God. We know that life is more than stuff. We know that God will provide. But we also know that God is near. The Bible tells us to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But we live in a world with rising interest rates and inflation, falling markets, wars and rumors of wars, hurt people, broken relationships, overwhelming schedules and responsibilities, a job or a GPA to maintain, kids to raise, bills to pay, and an expectation to be okay in all of it. And sometimes the biggest battles that we're going through are the battles that other people just don't see. So often that we're, the battles that we're fighting are the battles in our own minds. We often show on the outside that we look confident while on the inside we're insecure or we're struggling. We often look like we're strong, but the truth of the matter is we feel weak. We're worried, we're anxious, we feel a weight. There's a heaviness, there's an insecurity, there's a fear, and there's a dread. With all that is going on in the world, how can we not have anxiety? We are told to give it to God, but it seems impossible. But then let us go back to our passage of scripture in Matthew chapter six, where it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek here means to search after, stressing direction towards something. It has the connotation of run or strive after or towards some object. It means to attempt to do something, to go about, to desire. It implies diligence, effort, and focus. Seek is in the continuous present tense, meaning this must be the goal of our lives. So here, we are to run, to strive, to search after, to desire and focus first on God's kingdom and his righteousness. In contrast to a world without God and its mad search for happiness and the details of life, those who follow Jesus must have a completely different priority. You see, the world seeks to accumulate things. It seeks things like position, or power, or possessions, or financial security. But we are to seek God's will and his authority in our lives. And seek first drives us home as a matter of highest priority. You see, our dream should be to advance the kingdom of God in the way that we live. God wants your all. He wants your, to be your master. He wants our will to be his will. And as we trust him with everything, it does change our focus, which in turn can help our anxiety. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness means taking every thought, idea, and desire and making it obey Jesus. It means we give him our future, our job, our finances, our children, what other people think of us. We give him everything. It means putting him as a center of living. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. God is near. We are to seek first the kingdom of God. And what is the result of this? All these things will be given to you as well. Simply put, God will take care of the rest. You see, God is good when your heart hurts, when the questions are heavy, when you don't understand, and when you feel like the answers are never going to come. His goodness is not based on your circumstances, but on the unchanging character of who he is. You can lean on his steadfast love and care for you, and know that when your world is seemingly spinning out of control, you can rest on this unchanging truth. God is good, and he is still good, even when life is not. He is bigger than all things, and he's holding every moment of your life in his hands, and he will glorify his name in your circumstance. He is our heavenly father who loves us and wants to meet our needs, and he is mighty and powerful and can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Worry cannot solve the past, and it cannot change the future. And Jesus says to not be anxious about tomorrow, because tomorrow is tomorrow. In fact, the vast majority of what we worry about doesn't usually happen, but sometimes it does happen, and it's not as bad as we thought. Sometimes it happens, and it's bad, and maybe it's worse than we thought. But the goodness of God always carries us through. He is always faithful, and he never leaves us. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. God is sovereign, and his grace is sufficient for you today. Trust God for what's in front of you, and Jesus is going to meet you in that moment. Each day we'll have trouble. We are not exempt from hardship because we follow Jesus, but we are to keep our eyes on Jesus in the midst of it. I mentioned at the beginning of our time that I would share my journey with, with anxiety. And I would say that um, anxiety has not always been a part of my story. I, I would say I've struggled more with insecurities, and I'm definitely an overthinker. In fact, I have a t-shirt that says, hold on, let me overthink that. And uh, so at times, those things have led to anxiety in my life. But I would say my real journey with anxiety began in October of 2020. And uh, in October of that year, um, my husband and I both got COVID. And physically, it wasn't too bad for us, basically like sinus infections. But there was something for me when it came to the loss of taste and smell, and I couldn't handle it. And so when I fully lost taste and smell, there was something that switched to me, and basically, I panicked. I couldn't eat, sleep, or drink for three days, because that's how overwhelming it was for me. And the only way that I know how to describe it was that it was a claustrophobic feeling. And so I should be able to smell my shampoo or the pizza that was cooking in the oven for our son. And the fact that I couldn't overwhelmed me. And it triggered an anxiety in me that I had never before experienced. I knew that I was okay, but my mind and my body told me differently, and it changed things. With the help of my patient husband and some family and friends and my doctors, I made it through those couple of weeks. And as my taste and smell came back, the degree of my anxiety lessened, but it was here to stay and now be a part of my story. 
It took me weeks for it to settle and to figure out how to manage this anxiety, and I'm thankful for those who came along and helped me to figure that out in different ways. But the lasting effects of this experience stayed. I was once a little claustrophobic, now I'm extremely claustrophobic, and the anxiety still lingers. I would say at this point I'm overall in a good spot with it, but every now and then it rears its ugly head. And oftentimes for me it's in an early morning, an overnight experience of not sleeping when it does. Because anxiety doesn't come when it's convenient for us. And so there was a moment that this happened just a few months ago, and I woke up early one morning and anxiety took over. And I couldn't stop thinking about all kinds of things. I was worried about things at work, and I was worried about a flight that I'm taking in a couple of months because claustrophobia is real. And I even worried about when our son graduates from high school, which just so you know, that's in three years. Because anxiety doesn't play fair. And so there was so much running through my head, and I was overwhelmed. And so I got out of, phone, I got out of bed, and I grabbed my phone because I needed to be distracted. I needed something to take my mind off what was going on. And so I thought, well, let's look at social media. <laughs> of course, that was a bad idea. And of course, that didn't help me at all. And so then my next thought was, well, let's play a game. That'll distract me. And yes, that was my second bad idea. And so finally, I guess, third time's a charm, and I went to scripture, which of course should have been my first move. And I can't even tell you at this point what I read that morning. But what I can tell you is that I, as I read God's word, I remember his presence coming over me. And that anxiety began to go away. My thoughts slowed down and I was able to settle. When I looked to God, he calmed my anxiety and he was so near to me that morning. Now, I don't know what brings on your anxiety. I don't know what keeps you up at night or makes you worry. Whatever it is, I hope and pray that you would look to scripture to be able to feel at peace as you read God's word. However, I'm also very aware that when it comes to anxiety, it's not that simple or easy at times. You might even struggle to read the Bible. Sometimes we do need a doctor or a counselor to help us through it. And sometimes the medication helps settle us. Just know that God is always near to us in the midst of our anxiety, no matter how we may need to manage it. You see, anxiety is hard. Anxiety is real. But so is God, and so is the hope that we have in him. God does not want us to be anxious and full of worry. He wants us to look to him. He is present, he is faithful, and his power and his provision are real. See, God and his kingdom are unshakable in a world where nothing is stable. The kingdom of God is, at its heart, about God's sovereignty sweeping the world with love and power so that human beings, each made in God's image, and each one loved dearly, may relax in the knowledge that God is in control. Jesus triumphed over the world's anxieties. He triumphed over sin, death, and the enemy to establish the perfect, unshakable, firm foundation of the kingdom of God that he calls us to seek first. I wanna seal our conversation today, um, maybe just in a little bit of a different way, and, but not with my words, but with the word of God spoken over each and every one of our lives. What does God have to say to us about worry and anxiety? I'm gonna ask you to maybe do something a little bit different um, here in the West Auditorium and the East Auditorium and also to those with us online. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. And I want you to listen closely as I read the words that God has given to us. And my prayer is that his words would be able to soak into your hearts and minds. 
Take in the word of God as I read it over you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I'm not afraid. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You can open your eyes. God will carry you. God is near. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is always with you. He is always good. And he is working in all things. Remember, Jesus tells us that life is more than stuff, that God will provide. God is near. He sees you, he hears you, and he loves you. One of my prayers lately in the midst of anxiety and all that's going on around me is, Jesus, help me to keep my eyes on you. No matter what's going on, let me look to you and trust you. And one of my favorite hymns is, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I loved it as a teenager, and I still love it today. And it's a simple hymn with a powerful message where it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We're gonna take the next few moments and we're gonna sing that hymn. And as we do, I want you to take whatever's on your heart, on your mind, and give it to Jesus. What are you worried about? What are you anxious about this morning? Look to Jesus and give it to him.
Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are just that to us. Our Heavenly Father who loves us so much, who will provide for us and who is so near to us. And we thank you that we can turn our eyes upon you. God, I pray for those of us that are feeling anxious or burdened or worried or overwhelmed today. Lord, you know why. And so we give it to you. We trust you to take care of us and to be with us in the midst of all of it. And God, I pray your incredible peace and hope to invade every part of our lives. I thank you that you are working in our lives even when we don't see it. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that we can cast our cares upon you. And so God, guard our hearts, guard our minds and our souls and help us to lean into you. You are so good and so faithful and we are grateful. Thank you for your amazing love and your plan for our lives. It's in your name I pray, amen.